Welcome to the latest ATP Tennis Radio podcast. I'm Mikey Pereira, and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Jill Krabas as we look back on the ATP 500 events in Beijing and Tokyo and ahead to the Rolex Shanghai Masters. The Asian swing really feels as if it's in full swing and a super Sunday with two finals, one in the Chinese capital and the other in the Japanese. Plenty of excitement unfolded and we've got you covered over the next half hour or so. We'll hear from Jill Kremas shortly, but first of all, let's remind you how the final ended in Beijing. Del Potro awaiting this second serve from the Georgian. Vasilashvili finds the target this time. The forehand is ripped away and Del Potro has to defend here. He sends it high into the night sky and Vasilashvili with a forehand smash. Del Potro somehow gets it back. Vasilashvili now with a backhand that's sent up the line. He comes forward to finish with a backhand drive volley. He celebrates. The championship is his. Brilliant Vasilashvili in Beijing. What a finish to this encounter as the two players shake hands at the net. And Vasilashvili, it's two titles at this level this season. Hamburg followed by Beijing. He's winning them all around the globe. Well, it was delights for Vasilashvili. He came through that final in straight sets. And, well, Jill, it was slightly disappointing about Del Potro, the fact that he wasn't at full fitness, but take nothing away from Basilashvili, his second title at this level of this season. Yeah, and playing against someone, as you said, maybe wasn't 100%, but he had lost to him before. They had, this was only the second time that he played each other, and in, in that previous meeting, Basilashvili had won a set, so he did have some, some confidence coming in here, and he's played great this entire week, and Del Potro suffering a little bit, but Basilashvili still had to come up with the goods. Del Potro made a great push in that second set and started playing a little bit better, started moving better, got a little bit more consistent, so he really forced Basilashvili to up that up his game in that second set, and he did just that. I mean, he came up with some incredible shots. Match point was amazing. He had to win that point four or five, six times. And um, just his quickness around the court, I think, was also what was applying a ton of pressure to Del Potro. So overall, unbelievable week in performance from Basilashvili. Yeah, it was a really solid performance from Nicholas Basilashvili, who was able to to come through in straight sets. He's now won tournaments on both the, the clay courts and the hard courts. And uh, well, Del Potro, do you think he'll perhaps just take stock over the next couple of days and think, am I going to recover and then play Shanghai? Or yeah, well, he's got 24 hours to recover. Well, I mean, yeah, he has a, a few days. I mean, I think, I think the way he performed today, I think obviously he was struggling, but you know, he's got a bye in Shanghai next week, so that gives him a little like day or two more to try and get healthy and stuff like that. And and this is one of those things like you don't know how you're gonna feel the next day, right? I mean, he could feel great tomorrow, but uh, then he's gonna travel a little bit. So I think he's got definitely has enough time to recover leading up to Shanghai, but it'll just see how how important he feels. But playing that tournament before the finals. 
Yeah, he wasn't able to get the job done today. Basilashvili was too hot to handle some brilliant serving and brilliant forehand winners in particular from Basilashvili. We were really impressed with his, his movement as well. He looks an excellent athlete. Yeah, and I think especially when he was like moved out to the really far parts of the court, how quickly he got back and how quickly he was being able to get back into the court and also take the ball early and sort of rush Del Potro off to the baseline, which is not easy to do. So that was really impressive and, and so quick off of his start, first step to get up to those drop shots as well. And you could see it really affected how Del Potro tried to go for a little bit more and tried to make his ball a little bit too good throughout a lot of those points. Yeah, he's a really cool customer, Basilish Philly. He's got that black bandana on and uh, he barely cracked a smile when he won it. I mean, he didn't really smile when he lifted the trophy. I mean, <laughs> a slight grin, maybe, but uh, yeah, he, he will be delighted because it is a second big title of this season. And well, what a few months it's been. And he really might just be able to look forward to an exciting 2019. He's actually 20th right now in the, the race to London. So he might just start to think maybe, but a win for Nicholas Baslash, Philly, Jill, I think just a, a brief look back on the week as a whole at the China Open. I think one thing that stands out, we had a couple of big seeds fall by the wayside early. Alexander Zverev losing out to Malik Jaziri. And Grigor Dimitrov, his rotten 2018 season continues. And, well, we don't like to harp on about it, but it was disappointing from him. Yeah, especially with how he finished the year last year. I mean, he was playing so well and with a lot of confidence. And you thought he would have started this year pretty strong. But even when I saw him playing right from the start at the Australian Open, I felt like he was winning some matches, but it, it wasn't in a convincing manner, in my opinion. And I felt like the whole year he, he struggled a little bit. And you could, I don't know, you could. there's something in his face. You could just see that he wasn't feeling super comfortable or su super confident in his game. And, um, you know, sometimes that happens. Sometimes players go th through these stretches where maybe they're just not feeling comfortable and they can't find their rhythm. And I feel like he's sort of in that position right now. But, I mean, he's such an incredible player. I've no doubt that, that he'll get out of, you know, whatever he's feeling, the nerves or um, just not happy with his game. But I have no doubt he'll, he'll recover from that and hopefully have a better year next year. Yeah, he's now pulled out of Shanghai, so he will not be able to get enough ranking points to get to London and potentially defend his London title. Unfortunately for him, well, I guess the one positive for Dimitrov to focus on is that it's not the first time he's experienced a, a prolonged spell of poor form and then he's been able to hit back. You look back, he was ranked as low as 40th in the world as recently as August 2016 and he recovered from that. This year, he looks likely to finish somewhere between 15th and 20th in the rankings. But uh, while also Alexander Zverev, we mentioned uh, not doing that well here in uh, the China Open. He'll look forward to, to trying to do some more damage in a Masters 1000 event in Shanghai. Yeah, and you, I mean, you could just really see how frustrated he was after he lost that match against Jaziri because, I mean, he fought back and was able to win that second set in a pretty convincing manner, but then ended up losing that third. And I think, you know, he's another one I, I feel like is, is struggling a little bit of confidence. I think he's got a ton of pressure on his shoulders for someone so young. There's been so much talk about him being the next one to take over yeah. um, and, and be that Grand Slam champion and, the, and be number one. So I think that's a lot of pressure that he's been trying to handle and um, the coaching change that he's had recently. I think that's something that he needs to get used to as well because Lundell does bring another sort of higher intensity yeah. to his game. But um, I think I think that is that could be a good fit. But um, I think he sort of has to try and figure out how to handle that kind of pressure, that new pressure that's on him.
Yeah, he certainly does have a lot of pressure on young shoulders. Well, this wasn't the only ATP 500 event in Asia this week. We'll hear from commentators Chris Bowers and Miles McLagan shortly to hear what they made of the tournament in Tokyo. But first of all, let's hear how Daniel Medvedev claimed his third tour victory of the year. A collective intake of breath from the arena. Second serve on championship point. Nishikori goes to the backhand. Forehand Nishikori off the frame. The roar is from Daniel Medvedev. He has won this final. And he's won it in barely over an hour. But you have to say that was because Nishikori just did not play anything like his A game. Didn't play his B game, barely played his C game. But Medvedev, what a performance from him. An impeccable first set and a very solid second set. So, Miles, 6-2-6-4 for Daniel Medvedev. It looks uh, com commanding. It was commanding. But Kane Shikori just didn't turn up to the final, really. Yeah, convincing performance. And, uh, no, he certainly looked nervy from the start. And we, we should say that Medvedev was, was... I was very impressed with the way he played the, the first sets thoroughly. I, I, I played Nishikori. There were chances that appeared in that second set, perhaps a little bit of nerves, a, a break point early on from, from Medvedev where in, that he didn't convert. And we just thought, will this be the tipping point as Nishikori appeared to be uh, playing his way into it? But in, in the end, a lot of unforced errors. And he just didn't appear... To to be himself and I think we should you know there's two parts to that Medvedev impressive the serving was never uh, uh, never really allowed Nishikori into any of his service games kept his unforced errors to to a minimum but Nishikori certainly not himself we've talked for a while about this new generation of uh, of Russian players in particular three of them Khachanov Rublev and Medvedev and for large swathes of last year and even a bit the year before it certainly looked as if Medvedev was the third of those three. He's now the top-ranked Russian. He's into the top 30. He's on course for finishing the year in the top 20. Is he the real deal? He certainly looks to be. I mean, the way he it was, the way he played today, the serve as well, got a lot of free points. So he was able to dictate the points. But I think you know, going back to those those Russians, they, they've leapfrogged each other, which is a healthy scenario to be in. Because at one stage it was looking like Rublev was going to be the, the the leader, I think. And then, you know, Hachinov has had a, some, some great results over that, that US summer, played some good tennis. And then Medvedev's now gone on to leapfrog them all. And, you know, on, on today's performance, I mean, it's, it was mighty impressive. He's an awkward player to, to play against. Uh, it looks a little ungainly at times, but it certainly makes balls and... Uh, you know, when he was able to keep his unforced errors to a minimum and, and play big off both wings, I mean, that's just that's just a good recipe, full stop. In terms of qualification for the NITO ATP finals, which begin on the 11th of November, obviously two 500 finals on the same day is big. And Nishikori's missed a chance, but he's still, still very much in with a chance of qualifying, especially as he went a couple of rounds further than Kevin Anderson, who is in the eighth position at the moment. He isn't in, in a position to qualify, but it's going to take some, some very, very good tennis. I think he'll take some confidence from this week. It's certainly not the final he, he wanted and, and perhaps shackled by some, some nerves, some home, hometown expectation. But uh, we, we know he's a, he's a player with, um, with immense talent, with, with great qualities. He, he's won big matches on, on big stages. So with, uh, with, with a couple of 
1,000 still to come next week in Shanghai and, of course, Paris a little later on the year and some big tournaments in between. There are plenty of points up for, for grabs and, uh, you know, Kevin Anderson looking for his first... Uh, uh, appearance at the final so he will need to make sure that he doesn't take his eye off the ball because any slipping up there and and of course the players just above him uh, could be costly this is atp tennis radio well thanks to chris bowers and miles mcclagan there well jill krabass is still with me and jill our attention now turns to the rolex shanghai masters event you can listen to in its entirety here on ATP Tennis Radio. So we'll just have a, a brief look at the draw. And well, one thing that stands out right away is our winner in Tokyo, Daniel Medvedev, if he gets through his uh, first round against the the Chinese wildcard, he has a, a matchup with a certain Mr. Federer in the second round. Yeah, I, that would be interesting. I think that could be a pretty good opportunity for Medvedev, especially playing with such confidence in Japan the week before and then coming out and, and playing in Shanghai. So he's going to take a lot of confidence from that win. And, you know, he's not going to have anything to lose against Federer. I think he's going to make Federer play. He's going to make a lot of balls. He's really solid around the court. So that's, that's going to be an interesting matchup if, if that happens. That would be great to see and just uh, looking at it anything else that jumps out of you i guess a lot of it is the conversation about who can pick up big ranking points for london because there are still four spots left up for grabs yeah, there, I mean, it's Varev, who we just who we just talked about. I mean, he he's going to have a tough first round. He has a bye, and then he'll play the winner of Shapovalov and Bajlashvili, who just wow. won Beijing. So that's a great first round, and so that's going to be a tough matchup for Zverev, I think, regardless of gets who gets through there. Chilich is another contender. He's going to play the winner of um, Jari and Misha Zverev, and actually Jari, a couple matches have already finished um, in Shanghai, and and Jari came through that one that one and Jari to me is I mean I watched him a lot at the US Open and I felt like he's got a lot of potential he's another younger one that I feel like can make a big push if he gets a if he get strings a lot of matches along so that's going to be a tough one for Chilich Dominic Team's another one that's still a contender yep. for London he plays the winner of Ebden and Tiafo so there's there's big names yeah, everywhere big names. and Wawrinka I mean he's got a wild card and he has a tough first round against Borna George so there's a lot to look forward to well it's what we expect for a, a tournament of this level the Masters 1000 event just the, the penultimate one of a, a season that's flown by I can't believe we've nearly finished but we've got this one and then we've got Paris and then of course it all it, uh, turns our attentions to London just pick you up on those four results we've had already from Shanghai today Jeremy Shardy beating uh, Max Martyra in straight sets. Nicholas Jarry making it through eventually against Misha Zverev. Three close sets there, 7-6 in that last set. Goyovchik of Germany beating Jack Sock again. It was a close match. There were so many close matches. That was 6-3 in the third set. And Karen Hatchinov getting past Steve Johnson in his first round encounter. So already some interesting uh, headlines there, but so much to unfold in Shanghai over the next few days. And uh, Jill, you'll be with us for all of that. Whilst we're bringing the action from the comforts of the commentary booth, our man on the ground speaking to the players, coaches and fans is Lee Goodall. And Lee's been speaking to a very important person in the build-up. Well, I'm delighted to say that we are in the, the bowels of this magnificent stadium in Shanghai. And uh, it's a significant year this year, the 10th birthday, and I'm delighted to say that we've got uh, the main man, the tournament director, Michael Luevano, with us. And I guess the first thing to say is, is happy birthday. Does it feel like it's a significant milestone for you? You know, it does because uh, we've 
I think, kind of had such a unique history here, uh, coming as a very small 250 back in 1998 into the Tennis Masters Cups era, and then a Masters Cup um, developing into a Masters event, um, and it seems like it's flown by, but I think in 20 years, it's really a unique story in tennis. As you know, tennis is a can move very slowly at times, but the growth of this event and the 10-year anniversary for us is very special. And, of course, you've been part of that from, from way back when. Can you just give us a quick potted history? Because I guess a lot of fans maybe watching this event or listening to the radio commentary, they know it as a Masters 1000, but actually, as you say, it, it, tennis in this region began with a, an ATP 250 or the, equiv- the equivalent level way back a few years ago before the Tennis Masters Cup even. So the real uh, history of the event begins with an event called the Heineken Open uh, that was acquired by uh, the Shanghai Municipal Government through a state-owned company, a bus company of all things, which was kind of unique. Uh, And that became the Heineken Open in uh, stage in 1998. Uh, At that time, Michael Chang was the rock star of uh, Asia, and we built uh, somewhat of a marketing program based on, on his success, number two at the world, of course. And he won the first year of the Heineken Open. Uh, so we, we did that um, through 2001, and then we bid, and kind of an unlikely winner, I believe, uh, and the ATP World Tour took a, a big chance on staging the event in Shanghai. Um, It had been staged in Sydney the year before, Lisbon the prior year. And I think they really stuck to the mandate of the event needed to have a great city uh, behind it. But, of course, was it too early was always the question to come to to China. Uh, But Shanghai is the most cosmopolitan city in in the country. It sets the trends. It is the financial hub of the country. And... I'll be very honest, I mean, we staged it, we sold it out every day, and even we were surprised how successful it actually became. Uh, And I think at that time, a seed was planted by then-CEO Mark Miles, saying that this was the most amazing uh, Tennis Masters Cup or ATP World Finals in recent history, and the city needs a Masters event. So the Masters of Cup seed was actually planted in 2002, and a byproduct of that success also was the government insisted we bid again, which we did. We competed against some great cities, and uh, we won again and took it back home, built this stadium now, the Qizong, for the event, and had a run of the Tennis Masters Cup 2005 to 2008. And now we're a Masters event. Yeah, we'll talk about the facilities in a, in a moment because they're, they're well worth focusing in on, I think, um, having wandered around myself. Let's just talk about these, this 10-year period or the champions that we've had. Do you have any personal highlights? You've got a nice spread of winners there, haven't you? Nikolai Davidenko, which was a great story because he went on to win the Tour Finals that season. Uh, Novak three times, Andy three times, uh, and of course Rogers got his hands on the trophy as well. So it's a pretty, pretty cool role of honour. Yes, we're, you know, we're very, very fortunate to have had, you know, the most iconic players of our generation win the event, play well here. They have amassed amazing fan support 
all three of the gentlemen you, you mentioned. Uh, Nikolai was a, a, an unlikely champion, but playing so well, he beat Rafa in the final. And as you said, he went on to have, you know, a stellar year, the best year of his entire career. So it is, uh, even in our short history of 10 years, you look at it and it could be any one of the Masters events um, or even a Grand Slam type of champions that we're, we're, we're accustomed to here. And, you know, we're very happy that that, <laughs> that has happened. Let's talk about the facilities, and it, it's, a, it's, it's a big topic. I mean, as soon as you walk into this complex, the, the structure of the, the center court, it takes your breath away. It's some stadium before you've even got inside, and I was down courtside this morning just having a look. Even down to the details, I noticed like the, the, the seats that the players sit on court. It, it, it has a very special feel. You must be very proud of the facility. And that's, that's just the elements that the fans can see. When you come behind the scenes, it, it, it's almost taken up to another level. I guess that's one of the attractions for the players. Well, we like to think that we have some of the best hardware, as we call it, in the tournament director trade uh, out of anywhere in the world. Certainly comparable. Um, you know, our aspirations have always been to not only have a, a Masters event, but a, a 10 or 11 day event uh, and represent certainly the country at the highest levels and, and the whole region. And the facilities uh, and what went into designing and creating this was, you know, done by very, very thoughtful and creative people. Um, from the magnolia roof, which is designed after the, the flower of Shanghai, um, to you know our sky boxes and our back of the house uh, media facilities, kitchens. So it really was built on a Western standard, um, and its sole purpose was tennis. So if you showed up on you know November, everything has been locked down, closed, cleaned and will be opened up for tennis 10 months later. So it is really focused uh, and purpose is to showcase, you know, the city of Shanghai and has taken care of uh, maintenance very well. Of course, it's, it's fairly well known that you were voted Masters 1000 of the year, I think five successive years. Can you give us an idea of, from your point of view and the feedback that you've got from, from the best players in the world directly, why that's been the case, and maybe just you know, some of those details that we sometimes hear about, like the, the quality of the food in the player restaurant, and I think there's some private dressing rooms for some of the top guys as well. Well, we've, um, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, we pride ourselves on being very player-friendly, um, friendly to everyone, our fans, of course, or critical to us as our sponsors and media. But I think we, we're in Asia, we're in Shanghai, it's an exotic location. We have a, a philosophy, if you're going to be our guest, we're Chinese and we're the best at hosting people. And sometimes expectations can be lower, but we try to really just go to lengths to make sure that... Um, you leave here with such an impression that uh, it will stay with you and you'll want to revisit again. And um, our players, um, as 
services. You know, we, we did build the event around the Tennis Masters Cup, so we built 10 private locker rooms, and those go to the top players, 10 players seated um, uh, every year, and they're customized with their own pictures, uh, carpeting, drinks, room service, everything that you would, you are checking into a hotel room, basically. Um, but we also look after all of the other amenities for the general population of the players. This year, uh, we've brought in 100 kilos of Boston lobsters, uh, tomahawk steaks from the United States, and um, courtesy of the United States Agricultural Department. And, you know, we have a pizza contest named after the players. And, uh, you know, so we, the food is very important to these guys. And that's kind of our claim to fame. And I think that they've showed their appreciation by, by voting us the, the tournament of the year in those years. Briefly touched on the fans in this part of the world. I think that's well worth talking about. I've been lucky enough to go to Beijing and Tokyo as well, and, and the player hotels there. You get a real sense of it's almost next level support for the, the for the very top guys. Particularly thinking of Rafa, Roger, and Novak. It, it's a, it it gives this Asian swing a really special feel, doesn't it? There's a, almost a mania when those guys are anywhere near this place. Absolutely, um, and if you so. As an example, I greet all the players um, from the jetway into the uh, into their cars. So when we step out of with Novak, for example, on Friday morning uh, at 10:30 in the morning, you know there's 200 crazed maniac face painted Chinese boys, girls, grandmothers their pets screaming beyond decibel levels uh, for him. The same would apply to Roger, same would apply to Rafa. And he does well, you know, as he's been a champion. You know, the, the, the Asian fans, Chinese fans, you know, are, are very passionate about their, their players. And, um, you know, we hope at some point that trans, transcends to the local players and, and and but all players here even if you're walking the site are constantly being asked for photographs autographs so they're they're really embraced um not just in shanghai but i think in all of the the asian cities and the asian swing yeah i just had first hand of that i was out by the practice courts we had uh, sasha zverev on one court and novak on the next court fans queuing just to get even onto the even near the gate around them, I and it's it's an incredible sight. It really is. It's great to see. I would also just like to ask you about the the playing conditions here, because I think from from a, a tennis fan's point of view, it's it's one of the standout features I think of this tournament. We all like a bit of variety, I think, in the sport, and and I think what you've been able to do here is is provide a slightly quicker playing surface, which is which I think is attractive to most fans. Uh, without speaking for everyone, was that how do, I just wondered how that comes about, where that seed comes from, who makes that decision, and whether there's a consultation period. So I've been a tournament director for 30 years, and um, there's always questions about playing surfaces, what type of tournament you are, what, especially when you're playing on a hard court. Uh, we're a medium-fast surface. Uh, I think our fans um, and our tournament 
enjoys transitional tennis. So we don't necessarily want we want players to be able to transition from the mid court into 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 volleying, fast points. Um, I would almost say, I mean, you would think, I guess, that it would favor the big servers, but it doesn't always. Um, the players are very accustomed; they customize themselves very quickly um, to the uh, to the services. And if you look at, as we talked about earlier, who our champions are, statistically they're going to play through on a, on our surface. So I make that decision. Um, and I think I've never had a player come up and say, well, do you think you can slow it down next year? <laughs> um, I guess the only comment I would make, you know, uh, Rafa has been in the finals, both of the tennis masters cup and here last year losing to Roger. Uh, and I, you know, such a, dramatic final anytime they play anywhere in the world but I was almost secretly hoping that you know Rafa uh, could pull it out and um, but Roger was too strong and yes maybe the the surface for him especially when the roof gets closed it's tough but I think we've had great results with uh, with the surface we've chosen. Inevitably, as a, as a final question, I, I, we've got to have one eye on the future. We've talked about the, the phenomenal levels that you've reached in all departments so far. Um, I mean, just winning that award five times, when you think of the competition for the Masters, they're, they're in incredible cities, aren't they? Indian Wells, Miami, Monte Carlo, Madrid, Rome, the list goes on. How do you sustain the quality and how do you improve? And is, are, there, are there targets in mind? You mentioned you'd, you'd perhaps like a slightly longer bigger tournament is that one of those goals one day it's definitely one of our aspirations it has been for about four years and so we uh, have made a number of formal proposals to the to the ATP and the stakeholders obviously with the player council um, it's just difficult even you know with tennis calendar being as crowded as it is and um, players you know at the end of the season, they're struggling with potential overplay. So it's a challenge. We're very confident that eventually we will become a, uh, a larger event. I think it's, it's only logical that this part of the world needs a 10-day a men's masters. So we'll keep our eye on the ball, but definitely year to year, I mean, we have aspirations of you know, being the best Masters event in the world, the best tennis event in the world. Uh, so we're never going to change. That's part of our DNA. That's part of our the sponsorships that we have with Rolex, with J.P. Morgan, quality, quality, high-end brands that uh, this is a prestigious property. So any compromise in any way is unacceptable. So we we have to keep our level very high, and, you know, we we begin planning you know, two days after our event will end on October 14th. On the 17th, we're reviewing and saying this is what we need to do to make it better or wouldn't it be great to do this? Uh, so it's a, you know, we're in business 10 days out of the year. Uh, so we have to, we have a lot of time to plan and a lot of time to execute and be creative. So we'll keep doing that and hopefully um, at some point the powers that be and, and together with us will we'll, we'll reach our ambition.
Michael, you're obviously a busy man. We'll let you get back to work. Thank you for joining us on ATP Tennis Radio. Have a great week and enjoy your 10th birthday. Thanks so much. Tournament director of the Rolex Shanghai Masters, Michael Luavano. My thanks to Jill Craybass for this week. She's uh, around for the rest of the week with the Shanghai action. Well, that is it for this week's podcast. Listen to ATP Tennis Radio for live commentary of every day of the Rolex Shanghai Masters. You can hear that by clicking on the listen at the top of atpworldtour.com or through the TuneIn website and app, where you can also, by the way, find this podcast along with the best of our interviews throughout the year in the new exclusives channel. If you've enjoyed the podcast, pop up onto iTunes and leave us a review. Otherwise, enjoy the tennis. Thank <laughs> you.